Would you grab the church Bible that's in front of you and open it up with me to page 1029? That's where you can find Revelation chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 7. It's the bottom of the second column down there. Again, that's page 1029. And long before... There was William Penn, who founded the city of Philadelphia in the state of Pennsylvania a couple of hundred years ago. He went there to establish religious freedom and escape religious persecution in his homeland. Long before there was the city of Pennsylvania, or Philadelphia in Pennsylvania, there was this man, Eumenes II. Here he is depicted on a coin from the second century B.C., and the city of brotherly love, you know how that's the nickname of the city of Philadelphia? That actually comes long before William Penn went there to escape religious persecution and establish a freedom of worship where people could get along with one another. It describes these two men, the backside of the coin that you see behind me, Eumenes II, and his brother, Adelos the second as well. Eumenes was the king in Pergamum, in what we call Turkey today. Uh, we looked already at the letter that Jesus wrote to the Christians there. Uh, he was very close with his brother Adelos. Adelos was his general. Eumenes died. Adelos succeeded him. And his brother Adelos had this coin minted after his brother's death to honor their relationship. The city was renamed Philadelphia long before William Penn and long before that other guy from West Philadelphia born and raised. Here's Philadelphia, located on a volcanic plain. Uh, the city was leveled in 17 AD by an earthquake. Perhaps that's why we hear Jesus talking later in this letter about pillars and the temple and being strong and firm. And this is a very unique letter because what we find here, with the exception of only one other of these seven letters, are words not of challenge, not words of law, not words of rebuke. What we find here only in this letter to the church and the Christians in this Philadelphia are words of comfort, words of encouragement. I'd like you, over the next few minutes, to ask yourself this one simple question. Which of these things do I need to hear today? Because what we find here are three images, three metaphors that Jesus is using, all to give us great comfort. The door that he opens, and the name that he gives, and the ears to hear. The door, the name, the ears. Which of these three things? Let's unpack this text together. Let's begin first with the door. And look with me at verse 7, where the letter begins. We'll read the next verse 8 as well. It says this. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, remember angel's a word that means messenger written through the bishop or the pastor to the people in Philadelphia. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. The open door. In 
modern fantasy literature, an open door often symbolizes a portal between two worlds. But much more ancient than that, Jesus says in John chapter 10, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Uh, So this is what Jesus is picking up on again here in Revelation chapter 3 where he says, uh, I am the door and the door is open and I'm the one who opens and I'm the one who closes it. You have but little power. Good job. Most of you, you've been doing a great job. You haven't denied my name. Uh, Just earlier this morning, 19 of our 8th graders who have finished confirmation declared their faith in Jesus. They confirmed the faith that God given them to baptism, that there was a day long ago when God crossed the threshold of their hearts and came into their life. But an open door is far more than just an invitation to know Jesus personally. After you've crossed over the threshold, uh, this is also what Jesus is talking about here, the hidden ways in which he works throughout our lives. So uh, Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Here's what he says as he's choosing to remain in Ephesus, one of the cities that we've already looked at already, before he goes on to Corinth. He chooses to remain there, he says, in 1 Corinthians 16, because a great door has opened to me. Colossians chapter 4, he asks the church in Colossae to pray for him. Here's what he says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. What does all that mean? Not only is Jesus opening a door for us to know him, maybe perhaps for the first time, maybe even following him for a long time to to know him more deeply, but it also describes the hidden ways in which he's working in our life. It's as if to say this, that, that there's nothing you can do that can get in the way of God's unstoppable plan for your life. Nothing. My wife Jackie is a hairstylist. We've lived here seven years, and she's been cutting hair in our kitchen off and on for friends. And um, she's been saying lately, you know, I wonder if there's something more for me. Uh, Maybe I should rent a booth in a salon or something like that. Uh, A year ago, the Steiner family called us and they said, hey, we've got some family coming into town. Can you give a high chair we can borrow? Jackie said, sure, and uh, got it out of storage from the basement and put it on the bench next to the front door where I sit and tie my shoes before I leave to go to the office every day. So I was supposed to bring it to the office to bring in the signers so they could use it with their family. Well, wouldn't you know it, I forgot the high chair, despite the fact that it was right there. And uh, I got home, and Jackie said, guess what, you forgot the high chair. And I said, I know, yeah. And she said, well, okay, I'll just bring it over there myself. So she drives over to the Steiner's house and uh, brings it over. And while she's there, she bumps into a friend of Amanda Steiner's. And as it turns out, uh, by the way, if you're new, Micah Steiner, this is one of our pastors on our staff. And um, uh, it just so happened that Amanda had a friend there who was there kind of in passing too. They get to talking, what do you do? How long have you lived in Denver? Oh, seven years. Jackie says, I'm a hairstylist. And the friend says, oh, well, that's good news because my hairstylist is moving away. They get to talking, and uh, Jackie goes on to meet Lisa, the stylist, who's getting out of her lease because she's moving out of town. And as it turns out, uh, Jackie splits the lease with her. Nine months into 
the, the year 2021, in the middle of a pandemic, she opens a business, and it's going bananas. It's crazy. I mean, it's so good that, like, she's got the chance now to go from part-time to full-time. All because I forgot the high chair. <laughs> so now every time I forget something, I can say, well, maybe God wanted me to forget that, you know. <laughs> Doesn't always work that way. And what I'm most proud of is that through this, Jackie has had a new way to talk to people who don't walk through these doors. Some of you do, some of you don't. To meet all kinds of people from all kinds of different spiritual backgrounds to share who she is and what's important to her and the faith that she has, which matters far more than a job and going to work every day. That God has opened a door, a way for her. I'm so proud of her. And I don't tell you any of this uh, to tell you how good our life is. One of us is working every day of the week right now. We're in startup phase. This is what we have to do for now. It's tough to live like that. And I'm not telling you that to promote her business because you can't get an appointment with her until like almost the month of December. She's that busy. I tell you that to tell you this. That we have but little power. And that is a very good thing. That nothing you can do can get in the way of God's unstoppable plan for your life. The door that he opens, not even you, not even your mistakes can shut. Not your sin. Certainly not your forgetfulness. Maybe for you, this first word about the door. And he's holding open maybe to threshold to cross over for the first time, maybe you've been following him for a long time to know him more deeply in a real and more personal way than ever before. Maybe it's simply a matter of following him in the ways that may seem hidden to you today, but only are clear in retrospect as you look back on the story of your life. The door that he opens is the first thing that we find here in Revelation chapter 3. Let's keep going. From the door he opens to the name that he gives. Revelation chapter 3, flip the page, let's go to verse 12. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write my, on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. Let's pause right there. What is all this business about the names? The name of the city, my own name. It seems like a lot here. Well, let's, let's talk about your name. The name that you have is so important, so personal. It's part of what makes you, you. Remember when you were a kid and someone would call you a name? There's a thing that we'd say to each other, so you can say with me, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Why do we say that? And we say it on the outside, because if we're honest with ourselves, there's something on the inside that, that does hurt. The way that people use our name, the way that people talk about us, matters to us, no matter how young or how old we are. And the name that you have is personal. 
It was given to you by people who matter to you. They thought long and hard. Maybe you were already born, and then they saw you, and then they gave you the name that fits you. Your name is part of what makes you you. It's personal. It was given to you by people who matter to you. More than 25 years ago, this movie came out. Toy Story. Toy Story is a story about a toy. You can see Buzz there, the space ranger, and holding on to him onto his arm is the cowboy. What's his name? Woody. Woody. And Woody is a cowboy who belongs to Andy. And how does Woody know that he belongs to Andy? You remember from the first movie? His name is written on his foot. The whole story, now four movies into the series and all kinds of spin-off cartoons, the chorus that repeats over and over is the longing of Woody to matter to Andy no matter how old Andy gets. How true is that? of the human condition. It's why the opinion of your parents still matters to you no matter how old you or for that matter they are. To matter in the eyes of the people who matter to you. It's why you can have all of the things our longing to belong, to know. It's why you can have all the things and have no one to share them with and the things just don't matter. It's why you can be in a room full of people just like this one and feel alone by yourself. It's a longing of every human heart to matter to the people who matter to you. And so it's why in baptism God put his personal name on you and he didn't write it on your foot. A pastor spoke your full name if you've been baptized and said receive the sign of the cross on your forehead, he wrote it, and on your heart, he wrote it, to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. And he spoke your full name, first, middle, and last, and said I baptize you into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you were brought into a family of one who made you and who died for you and who rose for you to be with you forever so that you might personally belong and have one who calls you mine. That's the name he gives you. He doesn't just know your name, he knows deeply what you're feeling, what you've experienced this morning, this day, this week, and he says, I am always with you. That's the name he gives. The door he opens, the name he gives Third, the ears to hear. Let's land here. The last verse of this letter ends just like all the other endings of every other letter. It says this, verse 13. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, we've seen this before a bunch of times. Here's what Jesus says as he closes the letter. Is he just sort of this chorus that he repeats? Uh, why for that matter. You ever wondered about this? We have all these images that take some unpacking 
to understand the door, the pillars, sin. What, what is all that? Why isn't Jesus more clear? Have you ever wondered about that? Why does it take all this work to understand what he's really saying? I mean, maybe if we lived there, maybe it'd be easier, but why isn't it clear for us today? Because remember, these are words written to them, and yet they are for us. What about the ministry of Jesus? He's teaching, he's telling uh, parables. You know, there's some people who hear what he says, and they follow him. There's some people who hear what he says, they can't understand it, and they walk away from him. Why wouldn't Jesus be more clear? Does he want us to understand what he's saying? Well, I think for the answer, let's turn to the great theologian, Ted Lasso. Now, Ted Lasso, maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't, show on Apple Plus. Uh, Ted Lasso is played by Jason Sudeikis. Maybe you've seen him on Saturday Night Live. And Ted Lasso is an American football coach from a Division II school in the Midwest. They win a national championship. And then he moves across the pond, moves to England, and starts coaching a soccer team, as we would call it, with no professional experience coaching soccer ever at all. And I got to tell you, one of the things that fascinates me about Ted Lasso is that I find myself cheering for a good guy. You remember those days? Like, you know how like shows trick us into cheering for the main character who just happens to be a bad guy and we're kind of don't really feel great about it. We don't know that they're, they're not the greatest. That's not Ted Lasso. He is warm. He is vulnerable. He is honest. And he cares deeply for the people around him despite his flaws. It's not a show for all ages, but in the clip I'm about to show you, Ted Lasso is down on his luck. It's the end of the first season that he's coaching. This is the eighth episode, fun fact. And he bumps into the former owner of the club, that he coaches. Let's take a look at their interaction in a pub one afternoon. So Rupert, y'all take your darts over here pretty seriously, huh? Uh, this and uh, what's the billiard game y'all do that sounds like a brand of cookies? Snooker? That's it. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, boy, I'd love to curl up on a couch under a weighted blanket, watch you got mail and devour a box of Snookers. <laughs> <laughs> see what we got here. Hey, there it is. Do you like darts, Ted? Oh, they're okay. I'm more of a, you know, a cornhole man myself. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. How about a game? I mean, we could, you know, maybe wager, say, 10,000 pounds? Well, as my doctor told me when I got addicted to fettuccine Alfredo, that's a little rich for my blood. <laughs> uh, how about this? If you win, I'll let you pick the starting lineup of the last two games of the season. But if I win, you can't go anywhere near the owner's box, at least not while Rebecca's still in charge. You're on. Okay. Uh, double in, double out. Whatever you say, Rupert Dukes, yeah. Just let me know if I'm winning or losing, all right? <laughs> oh, I forgot I had these on me. <laughs> oh, wait a second. I forgot I'm left-handed. <gasps> <laughs> yes! 180! William Rupert, get in! Hmm. Mate, what do I need to win? Two triple twenties and a bullseye. <laughs> Good luck. Hmm. You know, Rupert, guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school, and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was 
painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. I like that. So I get back in my car and I'm driving to work and all of a sudden it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out and so they judged everything and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me. <sighs> Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because <laughs> if they were curious, they would ask questions, you know? Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? <laughs> Which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 till I was 16 when he passed away. Barbecue sauce. Bullseye, just like the barbecue sauce. You know, maybe it's less about how clear Jesus is and more about how curious, how open we are. I can't help but wonder what our lives would be like if we were just a little more curious one time, one interaction each day, a little more curious. And whether you know the person who's sitting down the row from you or not, or the person that you've been married to for years, what would our friendships be like if we didn't give up, if we didn't settle, if we were just a little more curious? And what would our families be like if we didn't assume that we've got them figured out and we're, we're, we weren't content to the degree to which we know them, what would it be like if we were just a little more curious in every interaction every day? Maybe just one. And if that's true, if that's possible, horizontally in our relationships with each other, how much more possibly possible is that in our relationship vertically with our Father? who's not just called us to study him and know him for a couple of years like our confirmants have done, who's, who's called us to know him, to follow him, not just for the length of our lives, but has called us to know him and to belong to him forever. I would argue that it's less about how clear Jesus is and more about how open our ears are. Which of these three things you need to hear today the door that he is holding open for you to know him more deeply than ever before and the name that he gives you his personal name father son and holy spirit that you might be his and belong to him by grace forever and the ears to hear what he says that he calls you his your he says you're mine in the name of jesus christ crucified and risen and coming again for you and for me. Amen.